All right. Good morning, everyone. How are y'all? My name is Jeremy Halpin. Some of y'all may be thinking the uh, wrong Halpin brother got up here to speak today, but uh, here I'm here. I, I really am uh, glad to be speaking in uh, front of a, a group of people here. You know, when Joel asked me to preach uh, a couple of uh, months ago, I don't know how long it was, I wasn't sure what the situation was going to be, if it was going to be an inspiration or worse. I mean, to me, it would have been terrifying to be in front of the... Uh, just the camera at the studio. I don't know why. So having faces out there actually makes me feel a whole lot better. So today, before I get started, are there any math people? People consider themselves a math person, like numbers. You are in luck today. Anybody who's not a math person, sorry, you're going to have to deal with some numbers today, but we're going to make it easy. And I know you're probably thinking the accountant got up to speak. He's probably going to be talking about giving. You know, that's why they have the accountant speak, but no. Good news is we are not talking about giving today, okay? That's the good news. I'll see the bad news in a second. <laughs> so um, today I'm going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 18, verses 23 through 35, and I, um, I'm going to start by reading the passage. I'm getting old, so I'm going to put on my readers. Sorry. So here we go, the passage, um, Matthew 18, 35, uh, 23 through 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, and in anger uh, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. All right, so today we're talking about forgiveness. By the end of this, we may wish we were talking about giving, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, and forgiveness, this is not an easy topic to talk about. And I'll tell you, I am probably not qualified to get up here and talk to you about forgiveness. Uh, it is something that I think I struggle with, we all struggle with. And there are different ways we uh, can struggle with forgiveness. Um, you know, my wife told me I shouldn't tell you all this, but I'm going to tell you anyhow. Um, one of my guilty pleasures in life is to watch a good revenge movie. I mean, I love a good revenge movie where a guy just, you know, something happens to him and he takes justice into his own hands. You know, like uh, during uh, the pandemic, you know, I was late to the movies John Wick, but I watched all the John Wick movies and I mean, they killed the man's dog. So I think he was justified to kill about the 7,000 guys he went on to kill for the next... Uh, I don't know however many days, 10 days or so. I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, 
You can talk about, um, you know, forgiveness in another way, too. And another way that I struggle with forgiveness is just, you know, you can be unforgiving if you don't have patience with people. You refuse to forgive um, mistakes that they have. You know, you know, you're just right away unforgiving, like, oh, I can't believe you made that. Um, you know, the one that jumps out to mind, if you know me, traffic every day. I'm not surprised by the three million people, you know, bad drivers. I shouldn't be surprised, but I get mad at them every day. Every day. In particular, there's a place. On my way home, I go through a roundabout. And I'll be honest, I love the roundabout. The roundabout itself is an ingenious idea. We can talk about that sometime. But what's not a good idea is the people who can't understand the roundabout. <laughs> when you drive to a roundabout, you look left and say, can I enter the roundabout? And you get on the roundabout and you go about your business. You do not look right and say, can I let you in the roundabout? But every day... I get behind the person who stops and waves the person in on the right. And every day it annoys me to death. And every day, I'm just, man. So that's another way I can be unforgiving. You know what I know another way you can be unforgiving in life? I'm going to go through them all here, really. Is you can hold a grudge against somebody. You know, you can hold a grudge for years and years. Well... Anybody know who Dwayne Wade is? Basketball player? 2006 NBA Finals, okay, over 15 years ago. Dallas Mavericks playing in their first NBA Finals, go up 2-0 in the Finals, and then Dwayne Wade gets into his mind, basically. He's going to invent flopping in the NBA, faking foul calls or whatever, and has the NBA Finals basically gifted to him because he's faking foul calls. And you want to get, here's for the true Maverick fans, and I know I'm going to miss a lot of you, but true Maverick fans, any of you? Bennett Salvatore. Anybody know who Bennett Salvatore is? Remember that name. Bennett Salvatore was the referee in game five, who when the Mavericks are about to win that game and really could probably go on and win the series, Bennett Salvatore, from over 40 feet away, the backside official from midcourt, calls this foul where... Dwayne Wade isn't even touched. And there are two other referees who are closer. And here we are 15 years later. I know who Bennett Salvatore is. <laughs> and think he's a horrible official. And again, things I shouldn't say in church. I mean, we allow people in this church. You know, we're a welcoming church. But if Bennett Salvatore and Dwayne Wade walk in this church today, we got a problem. I mean, so, so you can hold a grudge, okay? So... I wanted to just lay that all out there, that I'm unqualified to get up here and talk about forgiveness today, okay? Uh, Y'all probably shouldn't listen to me, but probably if we were honest here, I shouldn't listen to any of y'all talk about forgiveness either, because I'm sure you have your story. So we're just going to go on, and I'm going to do this, okay? So I grew up in the church. My parents took me to First Baptist Garland. went there ever since I can remember. And so, you know, not only did I get a sermon every week, I got the joy of going to Sunday school every week where you got another Bible story, and they were one hour after the other. And then as you get older, you start going on Wednesday nights. So I've heard quite a few Bible stories, really all of them. If you want to be honest, I've actually read the book. I mean, that's a novel idea here, but I've actually read the Bible. And so when you talk about these stories and you hear these parables, I mean... They kind of, I catalog them. I'm like, yep, heard that one. We're going to talk about uh, forgiveness today, the unrepentant service. Yeah, that's about forgiveness. That's about the guy 
who had a large debt, and then he couldn't go out and forgive these smaller debts, you know, these smaller offenses that happen. I got that one. That's forgiveness. That's what we're talking about today. And that's how my brain works. But the problem that I have, you know, that I had kind of growing up is the size of the debts. You know, I was kind of taught that these debts uh, were a certain size, and that's kind of, if you're a numbers person, we're going to get into these debts today. Um, And that's, as a more, I studied this, that's kind of what I, you know, kind of learned more from this passage. And I'll tell you, you know, when we talk about the size of the debts, and some of y'all may have been taught, you know, these debts were, the one equates to a million dollars, a few million dollars, the other equates to just a few dollars. You may have been told that, and that's fine. It's not wrong. We're going to talk about how, why that is. Um, But I'm going to read from the uh, message version, or as we like to call it in my small group, the MSG. That's what we we talk about, the MSG. Um, And so, I mean, many people may have that idea, because here's what it says. Here's how the story goes in the MSG. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance, and I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10, and he seized him by the throat and demanded, Pay up now. And so that's basically how I remember the story being portrayed to me. You have this large debt, 100000 million, whatever, few $10, few dollars, whatever. And so today we're going to talk about the size of those debts and understanding how the size of those debts should affect how you live your life and how you interact with other people. But before I even get into that, you're always thinking, man, it's taking you a long time to get to the sermon. I know, but here we go. Let's back up and let's look at how did Jesus even, because I found this fascinating, how did Jesus even get to telling the, this parable? And so we're going to uh, go back up, look at, real quickly, let's be quick, the, um, the book of, uh, the, not the book, the chapter, of, chapter 18, the whole chapter. And so Matthew was, uh, if you don't know, Matthew was one of the 12 disciples he was, you know, he went around during Jesus' ministry. So for three years, he heard him speak. He saw all the miracles. And then later on, you know, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, he writes it all down. He writes the, these stories. And so the book of Matthew, you can't, you know, I think they believe that it wasn't just written chronologically. You can't just look at the book and say, oh, this, you know, happened first, second, third, and goes to the book. But rather, he kind of just wrote the experiences down. You know, I mean, there are some things that are chronological, but you can't say that the whole book is. But when I look at chapter 18, I kind of think this is kind of chronological. I'm going to tell you why. So how does this chapter start out? This chapter starts out like, um, you know, you see some other places in the Bible. The, The disciples come to Jesus and they say, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus responds to them. He goes and grabs a little child, and he says, you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Be like this little kid. Be like this child. And we get into why he picked a child. You know, I mean, you know, children are, were not important in that society. Children were um, um, not really threatening. Children are innocent, kind of in the way of the world. And, um, you know, they... they trust. You know, you tell a child something, most likely they're going to believe you. So we can get into that, but I'm not going to do that today, really. And so he says, 
Okay? You become like this child. And while we're talking about this child, make sure you don't, have the, don't cause this child to sin. Because if you cause the child to sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the ocean, basically, and drowned. And then he goes on and says, and while we're talking about sin here, why don't you just avoid that at all costs, too? For if your eye causes you to sin, why don't you gouge it out? And if your hand causes you to sin, why don't you cut it off? Because it would be better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye or one hand than to have two eyes and two hands and go into the fire of hell. So he's saying, why don't we just avoid sin at all costs? Then he goes into a story about losing, um, um, you know, you see this story a lot of times about losing one out of a hundred sheep. And if you lose a one out of a hundred sheep, surely you would, li- surely you would lo- leave the 99 to go find the one. And I, again, I think this is all related because he starts that part saying, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? So he's kind of connected the child that's still there to um, the fellowship. And what, you know, the breaking of the fellowship, basically. And he's had sin in there. And the reason I think he's got sin in there is because sin breaks the fellowship. Sin breaks the unity of the church. It breaks the unity. And so I think there's a train of thought going on here, at least with Matthew, about what's happening. And so, and then he goes into, you know, so keep the unity. He's saying, you know, make sure it's important to keep the unity. And then he goes in to another little story saying, he gives you instructions on how to mend relationships. He's saying, for if someone sins against you, why don't you go talk to him about it? I mean, again, novel idea. If you have a problem with someone else, instead of getting mad at it, harboring angry feelings, why don't you just go talk to him about it and try to work it out between the two of you? And if you can't do that, he says, well, why don't you go get somebody from your church, take them with you, and y'all all sit down and try to hash it out and try to work it. Again, let's bring back that unity because if one of the 99 is gone, the fellowship is broken. So let's bring it back. And then, so, so he said, and that's where he kind of utters another, uh, you may have heard it before, he said, for where there are two or more of you uh, gathered in my name, for there I am with you, basically. So, I mean, he's talking about how important the unity is, how important the fellowship is. And so then Peter comes up to him and says, okay, you've talked about this. How many times do I really have to go make these relationships right? How many times do I have to do it? Is seven good? And Peter probably gets a bad rap as being the guy who always has to be corrected, being the guy who, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I'm not going to get into it, but, you know, having to be corrected. But, I mean, let's think about it. Outside of your immediate family, how many times have you really, has somebody sinned against you seven times and seven times you've gone to restore that relationship with them? Because I'll be honest, you know, when somebody really sins against me, two times, the second time I'm like, man, is this relationship worth it? Do I, is this good for me? Maybe I shouldn't have this relationship. Maybe it's not worth it for me. And so that's two Kind of my thinking, he said seven, which is up there, you know, if you really think about it. But I also found out that three is kind of what the Jewish rabbis taught at the time. That's what they were teaching the Jewish people is three times you need to make this right. That's the expectation. 
And so the Jewish rabbi said, three, Peter's thrown out a high number of seven, if you think about it. And Jesus' response to him is, no, not seven times, but 77, or some translations will say 70 times seven. And he's not saying 77, he's not saying 490. In math guy, we're going to throw numbers in there when I can. Um, I mean, he's saying a number that's up there, just something high enough that you can't keep track of it. That's how many times you go. You can't keep track of it. And it's interesting here because, in fact, it's believed that, you know, Jesus' reference here is to, uh, you know, he says 77. It's in reference to Genesis 4.24, where Joel taught on Genesis earlier in the year, where Lamech talks about an unlimited vindictiveness, an unlimited um, uh, revenge that he was going to pour out on people. Genesis 4.24 says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. So what Jesus is doing is contrasting this unlimited vindictiveness that Lamech was going to say with this unlimited forgiveness that he's commanding us of unlimited forgiveness here. So we roll right into this parable finally, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So what he's doing is settling accounts. You know, here's how much was owed. I mean, how much was borrowed versus here's what's still owed. So if you want to say, here's all your deeds, here's your bad deeds, here's your good deeds, here's your outstanding debt, people. And he says 10,000 talents. And again, I always grew up hearing that's a large number. That's, um, I was, had a million in my mind when I started studying. Um, we'll talk about some others. Uh, but the message says 100,000. And it's something that really was only something an extremely wealthy person would even understand. So you may know this, but one talent is 20 years' wage. So this man owed 10,000 talents. He owed 200,000 years of wage to, to the king. And again, commentaries will equate it to 10 million to 15 million. Um, you know, some I've heard as high as 6 billion. And the way they get to these, and um, uh, um, a talent was actually a unit of measurement, so like a, how much gold, like a weight of gold. And so people do different things. They'll take however much gold it was back then, uh, you know, however much gold it was and how it's worth, how much, well, how much gold that would be worth today, the value of it today. And so they'll get a number. Other people will say, well, it's 200,000 years wage. They'll take an average wage of somebody. They'll multiply it times 200,000, and they'll get a number. So you could conceivably get a number that's anywhere from 10 million to 6 billion. I promise you, I did it different ways. And um, now, the disciples knew he was throwing out a crazy large number because the entire tribute of Israel was um, 600 talents. And the tribute, that's all the taxes everybody in the country would have owed to, to Rome. So there was 600 talents. So he's taken the entire national debt, the national budget of the country, multiplied it times 15 to 20, and he's thrown out a number. So they know he's thrown out some crazy large number there that's um, very high. And so my problem with the numbers is you don't need to think this number is 100,000. You don't need to think it's a million. If it's 100,000, you think, ah, I can put myself on a payment plan. I can figure that out. If it's a million dollars, you think, eh, well, maybe I could come up with that next great idea. I can conceivably be a millionaire someday and pay that off, or at least Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, somebody could pay that money off. But what we need to understand here is the debt we have accumulated is far more than we realize. So from our research, 
found out another interesting thing. You know that 10,000 was the largest Greek numeral? Not the largest Greek number, but I mean, if you're going to write a numeral, it's the largest one they could write. So you wanted to get to a larger number, you basically had to do multiples of 10,000. And so the term, you know, for 10,000 in Greek is also where the word myriad comes from, or a countless number, or a extremely great value is what a myriad means. And so he's thrown out basically the largest number that he can write, that Matthew can write. And a talent is also the largest unit currency. So it's not like he said, you know, you owe me 999 dimes, you know, where you're like, that's a large number, that's some unit currency. But he's thrown out the largest number he can and the largest unit of currency. So he's not saying large. He's not saying very large. He's saying something so inconceivable that you shouldn't be able to understand it. I mean, basically, he's saying infinite. He's saying if he would have written an infinite debt, that's what you have. I mean, it, and that's the first thing we need to realize. You know, it's not large, it's infinite. And it's, it's hopeless. I mean, when you understand the debt that we owe to God, I mean, it is absolutely hopeless. There is nothing you can do. Any attempt to pay on that just seems foolish. And so um, the problem is hardly any of us think we have an infinite debt. You know, I mean, we live our lives like we don't have an infinite debt. We live our lives like we have a $100,000 debt. We live our lives like we have a million-dollar debt. Yeah, I know I got in a fight with my, my wife last week. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry for that. I know I got mad at that guy in traffic. I know, uh, yeah, there's that thing at work or whatever. You know, we think about those things. But last week, Joel talked about the holiness of God. And the holiness of God is something that we need to bring in here and understand that God is perfect. God is 100% holy. He is 100% good. He is 100% pure. Um, there is nothing evil about him. There is nothing impure about him. And so... When you think about God, he is nothing like us on our scale of goodness. Uh, he just doesn't even compute. If you think, you know, there's a goodness spectrum, and I'm here, and God's at one end of the spectrum, I mean, you need to get that out of your mind. God is nowhere on your spectrum. He just doesn't even exist on it because he's nothing like us in this area of our lives. And God's perfect nature requires him to keep track of all these debts. So, you know... Um, keep track of all these accounts. It says in Matthew 12, 36, that I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And it's not just our careless words, it's our careless actions and it's our careless thoughts. So when I hear that, I start thinking, oh my gosh, you know, now there's that thing I did when I was eight and I, at the time I lied to my parents. I mean, I've forgotten more sins in my life than I, I can remember, I promise you. So, yeah, we're not even going to get into that. It'll be a fun little time down memory road there. It would be a long sermon. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> so we need to realize that our debt is larger than we realize. And so this guy, you know, he begs for mercy. He throws himself at the king's feet and says, basically, um, please forgive me. I'll pay it all back. Now, either he doesn't understand the value of the debt that he owes. Maybe he's just a fool, thinks he can repay it, or he's like... Yeah, you know, just like I was as a kid, probably. If, let's just say this to my parents and try to get out of the room and hope we get, get on down the road. You know, the situation's bad. Maybe I get out of it. Um, but we got to understand, any attempt to repay it looks f just absolute foolish. And so the king, though, looks at him, has pity on him. 
And I mean, this is God looks at us, and when we come to him and ask for forgiveness, he has compassion on us, he has love for us, and he truly forgives our debt. And so this man should have left that room with this, you know, the money he's about to earn for the next 200,000 years goes back in his pocket. He gets to go home that night to his family to have dinner with his family. They're not, he's not being sold as slaves. They're not being sold as slaves. He gets to go to his kid's t-ball game that weekend. That should have been his attitude. And so, point number two, God has given you far more than you realize and far more than we deserve. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So God has compassion on us, you know. But what's interesting, again, I'm going to be the accountant. When you forgive someone their debt, you know, when, when someone owes you something, it really just kind of moves around on your balance sheet. You know, you have an asset, you give them, it becomes a receivable, they owe it back to you, okay? But when that debt doesn't get repaid... It kind of, it's going to hit your expense, uh, your income statement. It's expense to you. And so what the king's doing here is absorbing that debt. I mean, it's now kind of becoming his debt and he's going to have to pay for it. So my infinite debt, your infinite debt, all of our infinite debt, the king has to pay for, and he has to pay for it out of his treasure. And we all know what God's treasure was. God's treasure was his son. His son went to the cross paid for that debt. And so for me to get up here and talk to you about the love of God, the, um, you know, the kindness of God, I couldn't do it justice because it's inconceivable to me. If I can't conceive this debt, how can I conceive something that's greater than that debt, that paid for all of my debt, your debt? It says in Colossians that God forgave all of our sins. And do you not think he felt it? I mean, he felt it. He had to give up something that was of that great value to him. And that's how much he loved us. And that's what's mind-boggling to me is how can we comprehend the infinite goodness of God? And so while that first point should have brought hopelessness that there's nothing you can do, the second point should bring you not only a relief, a boldness, that the love of God that was given to you as a gift um, is greater than all the, the debt that we've accumulated. And so when we go out and we think, you know, well, here's what my greatest need is today. You know, my greatest need is maybe it's that new house. Maybe it's that new car. Maybe it's that new job. I don't know. Your greatest need is the forgiveness of God. It's the love of God. But the one thing that's missing in the story, there's no evidence this guy ever, you know, admits his inability to repay the debt. You know, he never says thank you. He never says I'm forever grateful. He just leaves the room. And, uh, you know... It says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father that's in heaven. And what was the will of the king? The will of the king, what we're going to see later in the story, was that he would go out and show mercy. But instead, this guy goes out um, and doesn't show forgiveness to someone, you know. And as a kid, I always wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. I kind of, for some reason, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe he's going out to try to do something good to accumulate some money so that he could give something back to the king. But I want to make no mistake, there's nothing redeeming about what he does. There's nothing uh, good about what this servant does. Um, and so, you know, but even if he would have had the best intentions in the world, the best intentions in the world... Um, aren't going to get you anywhere, you know, uh, he, because he didn't do what the king wanted him to do. He didn't do what the king expected him. 
But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So he comes across a guy that owes him a hundred denarii. And again, I was told this was something minuscule. This was something, you know, the MSG says $10. I was told that it was, sorry. Um, makes me laugh every time. Uh, I was told it was something small. But, uh, and we all have this mindset, you know, I owe somebody $10, eh, I can forgive that. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure I bought somebody lunch for $10 before. I'm sure I did something. I don't even remember it was $10. You know, we have these small debts that we can forgive. But let's look at the value of Daenerys. Daenerys was equal to one day's wage. And this man owed 100 of them. He owed 100 days' wages. So throw in a few, the Sabbath every week, throw in maybe a few Jewish holidays that they had, we're at four months. You can easily get to four months, okay? And so this man owed four months' salary. And who in here is going to work four months for 10 days, for $10? Nobody. I can't think of anybody that's going to work for $10. You know, you can conceivably get in your mind easily, I can be conservative and say this was a fifteen dollars to $20,000 debt that was owed between them. And I don't know about you, but that's not small. I mean, again, I give you $10 for lunch today. Next week, I may not ask it. We leave here and you're like, hey, I need to borrow 20 grand. Let's say in bizarro world, I can give it to you, you know. Next week, I'm asking, hey, you got my 20 grand back. You know, I'm not going to let it go. And so, you know, so I struggled to come up with offenses that were equal to $10 and 20 grand, but you can think about it. I mean, $10 may be a little lie. $20, somebody actively set out to harm you. $20, somebody actively set out to slander your name. They set out to cheat on you. They set out to do something to you. You know, I mean, that's a large debt that somebody owes you. And so the debt isn't nothing. And we can all say, yeah, the things that we've experienced in life are not nothing. We've had people harm us. We've seen it. So when someone says, you know, you don't know what they did to me or you don't know what that put me through, I'm sorry, I'm getting up here, I'm sorry. You know, this is what I'm going to tell you, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, Jesus doesn't, I don't see an out in here that if the sin is great enough, then it's okay to not forgive. Which brings me to a final point. The offenses we need to forgive are not minimal, but they are minuscule in comparison to the debt we owed. 20,000 is not nothing, but when you compare it to a bajillion dollars or an infinite amount of money or whatever, I mean, it's pretty small. You know, that's where the 100 denarii was compared to the uh, 10,000 talents. And then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Again, verse 33, as I had mercy on you. So forgiveness is not distributed based on the person's worth, as this story shows, because I promise you Dwayne Waits never can serve my forgiveness for what he did in 2006. He stole the championship from the Mavs. But it's not about the per- how deserving a person is of forgiveness. And it's also not about um, the action that was committed You know, we can't look at the person, we can't look at the problem when we decide whether or not we're going to forgive. You know, we forgive based on what we have received. We we forgive based on what God has given us, and that is a forgiveness for our unlimited debt. So two questions here. Why does God tell us to forgive, and what does it mean to forgive? Well, kind of went over it earlier, but why do we forgive? You know, 
We forgive to restore the unity, to bring back the fellowship in our relationships with each other. I mean, the disciples asked Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And it ultimately led him to a story of forgiveness and that we need to forgive each other. So why do we forgive? Because God has commanded us. You know, when we forgive, again, it's not about us. It's, it brings him glory. It brings God honor. Um, shows that we trust him. So we forgive to restore these relationships and to bring him honor. And what does it mean to forgive? Well, I always had in my mind that, you know, to forgive meant, you know, eventually you get where you act like nothing ever happened. And I, I kind of think that's a bad definition of forgiveness. Um, you know, forgiveness is not, it's definitely not, and I'm not here saying you need to put yourself back in a position where you're going to be harmed again, where you're going to be hurt. It's not uh, where you put yourself in a, the other person in a position of trust that they maybe are not deserving of. It's also not the absence of a consequence. I mean, there will be consequences for these things. Um, so it's not the absence of consequence. It's also not the absence of um, really a righteous anger. I mean, you can look at a situation that happened to you and say, that was wrong, that shouldn't have happened, and you're right. I mean, that's fine. You can be angry about the things that happened, but it's a righteous anger. But I found this on the internet, and I'm going to read this, because I thought this was pretty good. Forgiveness is to strive against all thoughts of revenge and to not do our enemies mischief or harm. Rather, to wish well of them, to grieve at their tragedies, to pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready to help them in their time of need. And I thought... That's a pretty good definition of Christian forgiveness. When we can genuinely look at somebody, pray for them, want what is best for them, want God's best for their life, and not want revenge on them, not want to see ourselves do justice. You know, the Bible says there will be a day of accounting. We will all stand before God and be judged. It says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So if we're unwilling to forgive... Maybe, you know, some of us in the room don't know Jesus. I've never met Jesus. I've never met, you know, God and know the love of God. But for several of us like me, you know, maybe it's because we struggle with the comprehending the debt that God forgave us. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and call the band back on up here. Um, you know, this story was told to Peter, but anyone standing around listening would have thought, you just told, Jesus, you just told the most absurd story. That story is so unreasonable, I don't even get it almost. Because while I as a child thought, you know, that's a story of forgiveness. I've had a lot of, committed a lot of sins, and I should then therefore commit, or I should forgive these smaller sins. You know, they would have heard this, heard the size of those debts that Jesus threw out and thought, well, that's irrational. No reasonable person would ever behave in that manner. No reasonable person would have 10,000 talent debt forgiven, go out and get mad at somebody over 100 denarii. You know, any rational person leaves the room thinking, you're not going to believe what happened to me today. And they come in contact with the guy who owes them 20,000 and be like, you're not going to believe what happened to me today. Today was my lucky day. Today is your lucky day. Everything between us is right. We can make it right because the king has made it right between he and I. All those sleepless nights that I had worrying about my debt, you don't need to worry about those sleepless nights worrying about your debt. So, 
And it's sad, you know, I mean, I hate it, but unfortunately in today's day and age, the world probably looks at the church too often and thinks, man, that's absurd. That's unreasonable. I know they probably look at me, and that's what's sad. They look at me and say, you claim to be forgiven of every sin you've ever committed in your life, every single sin. Yet you go out of here and you get frustrated at traffic. You get frustrated at a 2006 basketball game, you know? And so what do we do with this? You know, I mean, I really enjoyed studying this, getting into the, the numbers and seeing, you know, the size of the debts and understanding the Bible more. But maybe this really is as simple as when I was a child, you know? Maybe I just need to forgive. Maybe the lot of debt, I've been forgiven of a lot of debt. I need to go forgive much smaller debts. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you um, for your love, for your goodness, and for your forgiveness. I know I'm unworthy to get up here and um, tell others about what you've done because of the actions I've done in my life. But again, it's not about me. It's about you, and it's about your son and the actions that you did and how on that cross 2,000 years ago, your son paid the price that was worth more than all of our debts. And, he, and you forgave us. And we thank you for that love. We can't comprehend that love, but I pray that uh, you would use this message to just call us back to you. Use this message to just remind us that we need to look different. We need to leave here, be a little more patient with other people, be a little more willing to let some things go and to restore the unity and restore the fellowship of the church. Again, I just thank you for the love. I thank you for what you offered us. I thank you for, for your son. And I thank you for this opportunity that we can all get back together as a big group here and, and, and study your word together. So in Jesus' name I pray.